You get these questions a lot. Where are you from? And what do you do? That's what you get asked, right? Meeting someone new if you're at a party or maybe on your dating profile. So why not just tell the world? We just launched a brand new online store that tells people where you're from and what you do. It has all 50 U.S. states and some countries represented with physical therapist gear at ptpinecast.com. A stainless steel tumbler for a PT in Tennessee. Check. South Carolina PT t-shirts. Double check. Face masks for a Florida PT. Yeah, we got that. Great gear for life, all with your profession and the home state on it. Great gifts for yourself, a colleague, a clinical instructor, a student, all now at ptpinecast.com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, here we go with part two of an episode that really focuses on the 2021 State of Rehab Therapy Industry Report that's put out every year for the last five years by WebPT. You can download your report now at webpt.com. This second part of the uh, the show, the second part of the broadcast, will fe- feature Nick Patel. He's of APTQI. We'll get into what that is. And what are the things in in therapy that we should be paying attention to, the things down the road, the things we need to advocate for, and Meredith Caston of the nonclinicalpt.com talking about burnout, different routes for therapists as we are, are in a brand new world. Take a listen to part number two here on PT Pinecast. Follow us online. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PT Pinecast. All right, let's bring in our next guest, the executive director of APTQI, the Alliance for Physical Therapy Quality and Innovation. We've got uh, Nick Patel coming in the studio. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, Before we went on, I saw you had a copper cup, so I got to know what's in the Uh, copper cup. What are we drinking? (laughs) Well, what, what of course, what belongs in a copper cup, and that is a Moscow mule. So uh, it's a Moscow mule made with Tito's vodka and fever tree ginger beer, because that's the best kind of Moscow mule you can. Oh, get. cheers to you! I'm doing this. Uh, the 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 uh, the doctor of physical therapy. I just got a vodka soda because it's very nice and summery here in yep. the, uh, the Northeast. Um, Nick, hey. uh, cheers to you! Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. All right. So real briefly, just because I I think probably not enough people understand, or I want to make sure more people understand, what is the Alliance for Physical Therapy Quality and Innovation? I, I want to make sure you get a chance to kind of let people know what that is so they can find out more. Yeah, sure. So um, our group is an alliance of uh, companies that are focused on outpatient physical therapy. So that's that's our main focus. And you know we have one core belief, and that is that physical therapy, especially outpatient therapy, represents one of, if not the best value proposition in healthcare. And our goal is to make sure that that value is actually, um, you know, uh, supported and recognized at both at the legislative, at the regulatory and at the payer level, because we don't believe it is right now. And, uh, you know, no one's going to do the job for us. (laughs) So we have to do it ourselves. So our members are are really focused on, um, you know, making sure the rest of the world knows what we in therapy already know, which is that we have uh, you know, an incredibly effective product, but we do it at a very low cost and we have great patient satisfaction when we do it. Good return on investment or uh, good juice versus squeeze ratio, as I like Correct. to say, to say yeah. on the show. All right, we'll start off with this. You, you mentioned advocating uh, in the PD, PT industry. How can PTs, PTAs and students advocate for themselves for the value of what we do um, on their own? What, what are the things that they can do? Well, that's the whole thing. You know, a lot of people think advocacy is really hard. 
uh, that it's kind of too complicated. It's a pain in the butt. And so you see things like we saw in the survey, um, you know, which is, I believe in the survey, it was like more than half of uh, the respondents didn't do anything, you know, um, having to do with advocacy. And uh, one of the more uh, even telling things about that is that survey was done when there's a 9% cut for therapy services on the table uh, that we knew was coming. So a a huge cut in, the, in your Medicare um, outpatient therapy rates was, you know, well in the atmosphere. And yet we had more than half people decide, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do anything uh, from an advocacy point of view. And I say it that way because it is a decision. You decide to do it or you decide not to. So yeah. what can you do? Well, first, you just kind of decide you want to do it. Because once you do, you can do any number of things. Sometimes they're just really as simple as calling your congressman, calling your senator um, and writing your letters. And no matter what organization that you're a member of, um, our organization, APTA, AOTA, ASHA, they all have automated um, template letters you can send through. You can call them yourselves and say, hey, I'm a constituent and, you know, and there's this 9% cut. And I really think that, you know, um, it, it's a bum deal. Uh, but, you know, uh, you can visit, um, uh, you can visit Capitol Hill yourself. There's plenty of uh, conferences and, and uh, Hill days and advocacy days that you can be a part of. But, you know, before you get to all of that, my personal feeling is people find it had to, hard to advocate because they actually don't know what's going on. Correct. And I would say step one is actually you have to know what's going on. And maybe you dedicate a lot of time reading journal articles every month, and that's great. Maybe you dedicate a lot of your um, time attending CEUs and, and CCUs, and that's great. But if you don't really know what's going on in your profession from a payment or regulatory legislative um, point of view, you're going to be naturally gun shy about participating in advocacy because you're going to feel I don't really like I don't really know what's going on there and I'm maybe not educated enough or qualified enough to speak upon it and that's what I feel um is actually the biggest detriment and I feel like that really would be step one and then the other steps are kind of just you know they manifest themselves before you when you realize what's going on well you know then you can't find any shortage of things to do I want to call this person I want to write this person right. I'm going to fly these. <laughs> then you start doing everything I feel it's very very binary right it is it, it is it is this 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 switch flip where and and this goes into people making purchasing decisions or people making decisions to exercise if you are confused if you confuse your audience you lose right so right. things get complicated but if you can make them easier to understand and people need to do need to put in the effort or understand why it's so valuable so you point something out when you know that many people in the report saying with a 9% cut they did nothing they kind of backed away and said, listen, I don't understand how I can get involved. Therefore, I didn't do 10%. I didn't do 5%. I did zero because people kind of check out. So again, if you confuse your audience, you lose them. But this requires people to, to be led to the story to make sure that we have communication that leads to understanding. So uh, appreciative of the Alliance for uh, for, for Physical Therapy uh, Quality and Innovation existing because it, it it shows understanding. It shows the importance. Correct. Yeah. And that, that's, that's all we, that's, and again, that's where it all starts because if you don't have the, the, the stakeholders, you know, IE our, our therapists um, actively pursuing knowledge in this area and not just once in a while, but as a continuous part of them being a, a professional, uh, you'll never have that 
you know, 75% of your professionals doing efficacy right. every year and stuff like that. You won't get there unless you get to that part. You need that collective voice and it can't be, it can't be once a year. It can't be every once in a while. Right. Well, let's get a little more, more specific in terms of advocating for your profession. I think a lot of times when people say advocate for your profession, it's so big, right? It's so massive that we don't even know where to begin. So let's get, let's get more narrow in what areas within physical therapy should we be advocating for? Well, so, you know, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a good, you know, example. Um, you know, you're talking about telehealth with Heidi, right? Um, that was a, an issue that every year there was a telehealth bill, you know, saying PT should be able to, you know, bill Medicare for telehealth and never went anywhere. Right. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and we had all our patients stay home. Um, and about, you know, March, April, you know, uh, we were all stuck and we didn't have anything to do. And we had literally thousands of patients who had knee replacement surgeries in the front of March and they came in left for a week of therapy. And now we're just sitting at home, you know, freezing up. And so, you know, here's a good example of, you know, it doesn't always have to be like a, a, a huge deal, but this is an issue that had been out there, live very little traction over the years. Um, Medicare then, you know, started saying, okay, telehealth, we can, you know, still start doing telehealth and easing up the, the, um, the restrictions. And that's great. And then they actually said one day, here are all the codes you can do for telehealth and all the physical therapy codes were listed in there. And they said that, Oh, by, by the way, these codes are okay, but therapists can't do them. And so it was really stupid. And then of course, everyone just kind of threw up their hands and said, yeah, okay. Um, that's government for you. I'm out. It's not what I decided to do. I understood it was stupid, but, um, from AP, from an APTQI point of view, we said, you know what, this is an area we can advocate in. And it wasn't something we we're spending a lot of oxygen on two, three years ago, but now there is a need. So, we got, we got on the phone with uh, some of our close um, congressional allies. And I remember speaking to one of them in particular. I'm from Houston. Um, U.S. Physical Therapy is based in Houston. And the congresswoman who, whose district encompasses the USPH headquarters, um, I was having a conversation with her. And I said, we're, the economy is ground to a halt. I mean, this is April, pretty much the worst of it from last year. You are looking for ways to get the economy going. We have patients that are literally sitting at home that had surgery a few weeks ago that, that need care. The technology is already there. We just cannot get paid. And she became furious. And, um, and uh, we I made another call to the congresswoman from Delaware, um, Lisa Brunt Rochester. And uh, coincidentally, the reason I did that one was because for APTQI, we have more clinics in her house district than any other district, uh, any other house member in the country. And so called, found her. Basically within a week, both of those two got together they sent off a joint letter um, with uh, with a bunch of other member signatures on it to CMS saying, um, you know, your rule was stupid. You have the authority. Congress gave you the authority to right. let therapists actually use telehealth. And we're not passing another bill to do this because we have other stuff to do. You have the right to do it. You need to just do it. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, we got it. And we were, you know, they, they published in their letter saying, oh, by the way, you know, therapists can do it. We did have the authority. We just forgot. And, we, and, it, and it came out and, you know, there's a lot of other steps in there. A lot of other people, a lot of the groups, I'm sure did similar things. So I don't want to take sole credit for it. But what I'm trying to say is sometimes those issues that come about that you didn't even know about maybe, or that you didn't think were going to be on your, um, on your radar until they actually just, you know, fall into your lap. So it's not always about payment. It's not always about, yeah, we just want more money. Sometimes it's about, we have patients that need to be seen and we're just trying to be an advocate for them. So advocating for your profession a lot of times it means advocating for your patient and it should always indirectly or directly result in that. So what I have learned over the years is, um, you know, 
uh, stop making it so much about you and, and, and being a PT and more about who that you're, you're trying to help. And then when you think of it that way, the, all these other things can come about that, that branch off from, from payment. So you talk about uh, efforts to have better therapy representation in underserved areas because there's not a lot of therapy access in, in, in some of our rural counties. It's great in Houston. It, it's great in Chicago. It's great in New York, but it's not great in some of the other places. And that's horrible for those patients down there who just, who need therapy. So um, that's an area that we, um, you know, that, that we've dealt uh, into over the years as well. So I think that, you know, um, from my point of view, it's, uh, you know, making sure that you don't focus too much on the payment. The payment's great, payment's important, but advocacy can really branch out to a lot of people's passions if they understand that, it, you know, it can go in a lot of different directions. And I think that's another part piece that people don't get. You, you told a story, Nick, I don't want to go past it. You told a story to people who had influence, who had, who their job, their role was mm -hmm. to make these changes or, and, and you pointed it out clearly on who would lose if something wasn't done. Right. And you made sure you told those people because those people were in a position and they were motivated for those particular constituents mm -hmm. um, to do something about it. And that's advocacy. Right. It could be simply telling an easy to follow story. And this goes back to something earlier we were talking about, which if you confuse your audience, you lose your audience. Mm -hmm. And you told an easy to follow story in which the patients would benefit. You said, listen, we have a situation. Uh, it's it's not optimal for these people and we can fix it. And here's exactly how one, two, three bonus, triple bonus points. If you can do it in three steps or less, because our brains yeah. are just wired to, <laughs> to do three steps or less. Stooges, yeah. uh, blind mice, musketeers. We like threes. So, uh, so good on you, but that's a great, that's a great example of it doesn't need to necessarily be, um, dedicating every minute of your day to paying attention to what's going on. But when there's an opportunity to get involved, understanding the importance and the, 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 the juice versus squeeze ratio on that, it is there for you. It, it definitely is. Yep. Let's talk about innovation, uh, from this report from WebPT. How can physical therapists be innovative? This word comes around a lot. Uh, sometimes they say we can't, some people are stuck in the mud and say, well, we, we've, 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 we've done all we can. I think this last year has proved that the more innovative you are, the more successful you'll be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we're actually redefining what innovation is and, you know, where we are right now in, in space, because, uh, I mean, typically innovation, you know, me, okay, well, uh, I, I never did dry needling before. I'm going to add that as a product service. So that's great. And it is innovation. Uh, we never did blo blood flow restriction. Okay, let's do that. That's something new and that's great. And therapy has actually benefited from having some of these new services that really didn't occur in our clinics, you know, 10, 15 years ago and are now almost mainstream. I think that's great. And the speed at which they're being adopted, I think is something that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's really cool because we're not a profession that adapts to change very well historically. Um, just saying, but, uh, you know, I think we need to go beyond, you know, just saying what well, innovation is adding a few more product lines. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think where we are at a point in this country, if you look at healthcare for the last 10 years, um, the probably the number one, I mean, be, before COVID happened, um, the, the number one um, uh, trend in healthcare that has been you know, super strong, and I don't see, I think we're just still in the third or fourth inning in it, is people actually want to exercise right now and they want wellness. I mean, people are buying $5,000 Pelotons and spending, you know, ungodly amounts of money on a, a on a monthly subscription to sit there and ride a bike and have someone to tell them to do it. And, and here we are as therapists and, and we need to ride that wave. I think we, we're, we're so suited to doing that. Right. Um, so I, I think uh, for us, 
it's tapping into this 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 need for people, this recognition for people. One that exercise is actually good for them, and that's something they don't want to do. If you talk to people from my generation, exercise is always a bad word, and you know, it's like you know, tell me to do anything other than exercise. And but now it, it's totally not that way, and it's a total change in the public's perception of what we do. I think that's great, and I think we can capitalize that on that even more. I think therapists can build um, uh, platforms uh, that that actually make them the go-to person, not just for, I just got hurt and I need, I need help, but for wellness in general, for staying in shape, um, for reducing, um, falls for, you know, for your grandparents and, you know, for the older members of your family that because we're so well suited for that. Um, you know, I, one of the things I was talked about when it came to, um, uh, you know, telehealth before telehealth, you know, really exploded this year was I would tell members of Congress, like, look, how do you think, how cool would it be? If every single Medicare beneficiary was able to, via telehealth, show a therapist, you know, via their handheld device, what their house looks like, and the therapist would be able to sit there and say, you know what, this is what we're going to do. That ceiling fan, move it. Uh, you know that, or that that box fan, move it. You know that your, your cat is going to kill you because it keeps trying to trip you up. You're going to have to give it up. Whatever it happens to be, move this, move that. And you know, for 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 a very small amount of money, you could save grandma from falling. And those are the types of services that are more than just like add-on services, but you could actually meld the technology and then you can create a brand for yourself. Two things that you just said there. Number one, pay attention to what your audience is telling you with their buying decisions or their attention. And I say, I use these two phrases all the time, pay attention and spend time. And those two phrases are transactional, right? If someone is willing right. to pay attention and spend time, it doesn't need to be money, but it can be. You mentioned the Peloton bike. People can mock it all they want, right? But they're telling you that I get value from this. I'm willing to give value because I get something from this. Ask yourself why and how can I, I can, how can I inter, uh, interject myself into this uh, interaction? How can I add value to this? And the second thing was money. We know that doing something that you just mentioned, doing a, a home assessment is valuable. Why? It can save money. If it can prevent a fall, and I know prevention is is sometimes you know not not the easiest thing to necessarily show. It's not the sexiest thing to do, um, but if you can do it, if you can prove it, you can prove cost savings. You've you've got something really strong on on your side in terms of making a case. Absolutely, and we're well positioned for that as therapists. Yeah, uh, love that, uh, Nick. Anything that jumped out from the uh, from the report, the twenty twenty state of rehab report from WebPT? Before I let you go, that 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 shocked um, you, good, bad, ugly? Yeah, I mean, besides the advocacy part, you know, I was kind of, I, I actually thought it was a little bit high, but there was a another stat in there. I think it was like three uh, three quarters or four fifths of uh, all the respondents actually got some kind of financial relief during COVID, um, which uh, you know, I know we had the PPP program and, and stimulus checks. I'm sure, you know, it's a combination of a lot of those things, but I thought that was, I thought it was just interesting. I, that was a lot higher than I thought it would be, but it, it just kind of shows uh, how much, uh, how much spaghetti the, uh, the government threw against the wall and a lot of it stuck. So yeah. um, I was just kind of, I, I don't, I don't have any other comment on it other than I was, I was kind of shocked by how high it was. Yeah. Again, download report online right now at webpt.com. Nick, we'll bring you back, but thanks so much for coming on and giving, some, giving us some insight right now. Yep. Uh, do you want to thank our friends at the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy? Find them online at orthopt.org. We have a lot of people uh, celebrating the fact that they've completed their OCS and congratulations. Uh, adding that to your clinical tool belt. If you're sitting somewhere right now and you're saying, I would love to level up my orthopedic game, but I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't. Maybe, maybe I'll put it off for a couple of years. What if you had a roadmap? What if you had a clear path to that OCS? 
So it gets you confident and competent to take that examination so you can help your patients better. They've got that online at orthopt.org. It's called Current Concepts of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Go there and check that resource out to get you to where you want to be as an orthopedic physical therapist. All right, our next guest is a PT who bucked the trend and left patient care. She now helps clinicians launch their non-clinical career with confidence at the nonclinicalpt.com. We've had her on the show before. Welcome back, Meredith Cass. Meredith, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. It's good to see you. All right, love this. We get to take a, a, a non-clinical uh, angle. This is what you do. Uh, so talk talk real quick. What what types of non-clinical paths in physical therapy are there? I'm, I'm sure you could go on for, for a long time talking about this, but give us just a few that people might not know about. Oh, the ones that people really don't think about. I don't know if they don't know about that. Maybe they don't think they're qualified to do. Clinical specialist, medical science liaison. These jobs typically go to people with PhDs or kind of terminal level degrees. And they'll say doctoral level degree. So they'll list the different degrees in the job postings. And they'll say MD, DO, PhD, PharmD. So you can tell that there's a scope of these advanced degrees. It's just DPT and OTT aren't listed on there. But then you look at the descriptions and it'll say X amount of patient care experience years working with patients with multiple sclerosis or with cerebral palsy or all of these diseases that we have been trained to do. Yes, exactly. And so people see these jobs and they say, there's just no way that I'm qualified to do this because I'm not listed in the job description. And that talking about advocacy, I think one of the types of advocacy is just grassroots. It's the idea of putting yourself out there and saying, I'm not sure if you were even aware of this, but but most physical therapists, well, really all of them these days are graduating with doctoral level degrees as a baseline. Many are going into these dual degree programs with PhDs. You'll see the MPHs, you'll see um, all sorts of other dual degrees. And so basically I think that people don't often realize that these jobs are even out there in the first place, but then even when they know that they exist, they think, well, why me? Why not a physician? Right. Here, here comes that imposter syndrome. Not me. I'm I'm not deserving of this. Right. Um. Yeah. So so let's talk about the report. Anything from the report? 2021 Web PT State of Rehab. What jumped out at you from that report? From your from your lens? I can't say that I was really shocked by a lot of the findings. I think a lot of them just kind of made sense when you look at them in the context of the other findings from the report. So I noticed that a lot of I, I forget the exact percentages, but a lot of people left left their jobs not by their own decisions. They were involuntarily, either their hours were cut or their pay was cut or they were furloughed or something along those lines. So you look at these types of things, they go hand in hand, and then you look in the column of non-clinical jobs and you don't see those numbers. You just don't see as many people in the non-clinical positions being furloughed. And then just from me, anecdotally, I hear the number one request people have is that they want to work remotely. And you, I was hearing that before the pandemic, but boy, when, when COVID hit, everybody wanted to work from home. Understandably, we were scared. Nobody knew what was going on. What a lot of us take it for granted now we're vaccinated. I feel like I have a bit of a superpower now that I'm vaccinated, but for a long time, man, we were we were having groceries delivered. It was a scary time. And so you had these clinicians that were, that were saying, I don't, even if I'm still able to work, I don't necessarily want to work. I have an immunocompromised child or parent that's living with me, or I'm immunocompromised. And so I looked at these numbers and I saw how they were lining up compared to what the case was with these non-clinical jobs. And I was thinking, well, of course, you're going to have people 
wanting to go toward the job. The other one is that non-clinical jobs tend to pay higher. And so that's not across the board, especially because I noticed in the survey, it was kind of stratified into education and then other non-clinical jobs. And so you kind of have to think those two, they're going to come together in some respects because many, many people who do go non-clinical go into education. But I did notice, oh, sure. No, no, go ahead. I, I was going to say, if only there was a resource, you're saying like <laughs> the, the common thread is a lot of times people don't know these non-clinical jobs right. exist. If only there was some website right. where, where <laughs> someone interviewed or shared information right. about these, uh, maybe if, if it was called like something like the nonclinicalpt.com. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I mean, and I can't even scratch the surface on the spotlights. That's the thing. I try to get everybody from every single field. But the fact of the matter is a lot of the people in these higher level roles, they work for these really, really big level companies, Johnson & Johnson, Bristol-Myers Squibb, all these big ones, Boston Scientific. And so a lot of times they're going, I've got to go through eight levels of, of sort of, what do you call it? I guess, okay, kind of compliance checking. And so they, they, I've had a number of people where they've been sitting in my queue for like two years and they keep saying, oh, just another person needs to take a look at my spotlight questions before we can go live. And so that's kind of what kills me is that if people are only relying mm -hmm. on the spotlights, then yeah, it's hard because mm -hmm. some of the companies and some of these jobs are just, they're like so high up there that people can't always share the in and out of this goes to me, this is a value tra uh, transaction to me. If you have value, you know, not seeing DPT in the drop down box of an application right in the comment section, like I'm telling you, like, because it doesn't exist, you need to create the road, right? I, I was I, I was lucky enough to be featured on your website a couple of years ago when I got my, my, my job at Fox Rehabilitation. I've now left and I've, I do something even more different and weird that didn't exist for Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Um, that was out of a few conversations. I got that job out of a few conversations in which I recognized first, I didn't look for me first, I recognized what Mount Sinai and these particular area of Mount Sinai needed. And I said, I, I think I could do that. And, and there was still a little imposter syndrome for me and saying, I, th I think I could do this. And then we had conversations. The next thing you know, I have that job. So I think that really is the first step is not easy, right? You can't tell someone to, to ignore that imposter syndrome. Um, but uh, if you want it bad enough, make sure you tell your, listen first to understand and then tell your story. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And don't be afraid to connect with people because I think the imposter syndrome comes from people moving into these roles, obviously. But then the people who aren't even in the role, they're thinking, how the heck do I get there? And so they really the easiest thing you can do is connect with somebody. I will say the people I've spotlit, they get overwhelmed because I have so many people on my email list and they immediately reach out, but you can find people on LinkedIn. You can do your research. I hate to use that phrase right now in the era of COVID, but you can, you can do some research, I should say on LinkedIn and you can look up people's names with the job title that sounds interesting to you. And you can really get in there and start kind of exploring and finding people that I haven't covered or other groups haven't covered yet and really pick their brains. And most people, if you make it about them and you say, how can I help you? And I want to know about your story and yeah, you really yeah, genuinely yeah. have interest in them 100%. instead of like, Hey, can you look at my resume? I've got a, I've got a job interview coming up. If you make it about them, they are so happy to help you and mm -hmm. they'll remember you. Lead with a give, right? Who's the most yeah. important person in your world? It's you, right? When someone comes with a give to you, you pay attention. That's And that's really what you want is someone to pay attention. Yep. So so let's talk about how does someone build non-clinical skills 
while working clinically, right? I always say the best time to look for a job is while you have a job, but how do you build those non-clinical skills while you are still working clinically? Well, that was another thing from the survey I noticed is it was a pretty high percentage, probably close to 20% of people were given these non-clinical skills and opportunities out of necessity during temperature screening checks and things like that. So one thing is if you're in a position where it's either get furloughed or flexed, then offer to help out, help out with chart reviews, help out with scheduling, help out with compliance audits, anything that your supervisor needs help with, just say, what do you need help with rather than flexing the office or anything I can do? Even if it comes down to organizing the office, you're kind of networking, you're, you're showing initiative value. and you're showing value. Exactly. And so I will say some of the specifics are, you know, the obvious ones, volunteering for TJC or JCO visits. Those are the ones people always think about. But some things that people don't think about are just offering to put on an in-service on a topic that you, really that you might understand that people don't understand. And I'm not even talking about clinical. If you're just on Instagram all the time and you understand it really well, give an in-service on Instagram and give an in-service on how your clinic can use Instagram. And just those things that people don't realize that I just, they're valuable skills. Yeah. I just did that. It wasn't necessarily on Instagram, but it was on communication, right? Yes. I, I now work with Mount Sinai with a bunch of researchers. And I said, here's seven things you should be doing to amplify your research. And I got so many emails, like, I didn't think of five of these. Like I, I knew two, but I didn't know yeah. five. And I was like, you now have five things in your, in your quiver that you could be doing because your whole job is research. And again, I mentioned this quote before science isn't done until it's communicated. Your job wasn't to get the research done. Your job was mm -hmm. to get understanding. And that only happens when you communicate it over and over again. And this goes back, I, me I meant to say this when uh, Nick was on there, my working definition of innovation is this, and it came from one of my, one of my colleagues now at Mount Sinai, find a problem where everybody says, this isn't my problem. Solve that problem and you're innovative, right? It, it, mm -hmm. A lot of times that step for innovation um, is, is hiding in plain sight. And everybody's just kind of looking at it, laying there on the carpet going, yeah, I'm going to step over that. I'm not going to clean that up. Solve that problem, and everybody's going to go. Oh my gosh, that was the that was the thing on the uh, in the middle of the room we didn't want to touch, yeah. and you did. And a lot of non-clinical roles can do that, and it might change. It might change your life. Like mm -hmm. you know, you stepped out of clinical care, as did I, and we both talked about this before, where that was actually kind of difficult because we had to say, I went to school for this, but now I'm doing something else. Am I yeah. still a, am I still a physical ther uh, therapist? I, I would argue that both of us are because oh, yeah. we get to, we get to help people. That's, that's at the root of all of it. Yep. Yep. And I also think it really goes into a topic that we're, you know, we could do a whole 10 hour treatise on this whole thing, but just the idea of using your strengths and understanding that a lot of times I had a great conversation with someone today who said, I took a, a strengths finder test and I realized that so many of what I perceived as my weaknesses were really my strengths. And it was just, it's absolutely true. And I felt like such a subpar human when I was working in the clinic because I was scattered and I just wanted to chat the whole time. And all of the things that have made me successful in what I'm doing now, they were really holding me back clinically. Yeah. And I think people need to really understand what makes them tick, what makes them passionate and what makes them successful. And then still embrace the idea that, yeah, we're PTs, we're PTAs, we're clinicians. And it doesn't make you any less of a clinician just because you go out and do something new. And to your point of solving the problem, I always tell budding entrepreneurs when they're saying, what do I do? I, I'm having a hard time finding traction or finding my audience. And it's pretty simple. You just find a problem that people are having. And as you said, don't want to deal with. And then you just address that problem and you do so authentically and you don't try to just 
sell right away. You just Correct. start solving their problem and finding the give. answers. Yep, it's giving. It's exactly. Give, right. I'm just going to solve this problem. And, and, and I'll say this. Listen, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, the fish will walk around thinking it's stupid its whole yes. life. So I, was, I was very similar. I was like, you know, we, we typically downplay our strengths. We say like, listen, I'm really good at this, but since that, what we're good at typically comes easy to us. We put a lot yes. of effort into it. So it comes easy. And we're like, well, it's easy to me. So it's probably not valuable. Meanwhile, everybody else in the room might not be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Recognize that that's, that could be one more unconscious thing that you're not recognizing, which is how valuable is it? Do people not want to do it? Trust me. I was one of the most popular guys in PT in PT school when it came to group projects. Cause they were like, we don't want to present. Believe me, I was <laughs> yes, not the popular yes, guy yes. another day of the week, but it was like, <laughs> Who, who wants to do a group project? Well, would you have to present it to the class? I want Jimmy on my team. Yes, Why? Yes. Because I, I like to solve that problem. Yep. Amen. All right, before, we let you, before we let you go and bring everybody back, what was uh, what was one thing or one, one or two more things that jumped out from the state of rehab from WebPT that either confirmed something or maybe brought something to light that you didn't see before? I think it was just a continuation of the trends that I've been seeing for years, which is just when I first started my site, I just wasn't hearing from anybody else. I felt so incredibly alone, except I would just get emails from people. So I knew I wasn't completely alone. And I'm finding that more and more people are talking about they want to go non-clinical. They're willing to say that on a survey that is going out instead of saying, oh, you know, I'd like to make a change. They're willing to actually specify that they would like to either go into education or non-clinical, which again, the number would be bigger if you combine the two. And I think it's important to, to kind of understand and respect that and, and, we've really done a great job of this. I think as a profession, we aren't really shaming people for going non-clinical. That's why I felt so alone and kind of stupid. And I felt like the fish that couldn't climb the tree because when I said I didn't want to do it, I got a lot of negative feedback for for that decision. And now I'm I'm loving it. There, people aren't being as negative and, and they're understanding. And I think with the cost, the cost of education, I think has played a big role because it's finally being talked about what a problem it is. So then when people recognize that you can both improve the profession, maintain your identity as a clinician, and then also kind of pay off the student loans and, and be happier and be happier. Maybe you're yeah. happier. Like that was, I mean, hard to actually, that was hard to actually admit. I mean, I was yeah. you know hosting podcasts and helping out organizations while I was a treating clinician. And I was like, I'm actually, I didn't dislike the other thing. Right. I'm not poo -poo like that's the thing. I'm not, I'm not downplaying this other thing and the value of it. I just like this other thing. And I actually see how they come together. Mm -hmm. And you probably were naturally better at it too. And part of why you enjoyed it and you were happier is that you were doing something you were good at. And that's one fiddle, right. I got, I got a lot more than I gave a lot, but I actually got more. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. So right. the nonclinicalpt.com, you can go there. Uh, check out some of those spotlights. Just peruse. That's what I tell people. It's a good S SAT word too. Peruse. Peruse <laughs> that website and check out what other options are are out there. Let's bring back our guests. We've got Heidi. We've got Tavana. We've got Nick. Welcome back to the show. Uh, anything jump out, Heidi, Tavana, Nick, uh, Meredith, as the other guests were talking or anything else you wanted to chime in on? We'll start with Heidi. Uh, well, I just related so much to your conversation you just had uh, with Meredith in terms of solving a problem. I think when we talk about innovation, it's sometimes right in front of you, like you mentioned. Um, that's how WebPT started. It was definitely no one wanted to attack the documentation portion. Everybody was attacking the billing because that's how you get paid. Um, but we just went to attack the, the, the hard thing. Um, and then the other thing, just that, um, when Nick was 
like talking about uh, advocacy, I think that, you know, one of the areas that we, we don't have non-clinical PTs representing is either in legislative offices or even at CMS. And we've talked a lot about this at the APCQI. Um, and Nick provided a, a, a great uh, a link to usajobs.gov that you can find more non-clinical opportunities to where you can have PTs truly represented in, you know, the areas in which decisions are making, we truly get representation, which we traditionally have not had at all. You know, the phrase comes up a lot within, uh, you know, different organizations. If, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, which I agree with. I want to be in the kitchen. Like, yes, the menu is definitely where you want, but I, I want to be in the kitchen because that's where the decisions, where the buying decisions, that's where the what goes on the menu decisions are being made. Uh, Tavana, anything that jumped out from the other guests that you might want to chime in on? Yeah, 100% the conversation with, between you and Meredith, she and I have chatted a many a time about all of the feelings and thoughts of imposter syndrome and identity and everything when you decide to come out of the clinic and go into a non-clinical role. And the big question that I even today still ask myself is like, am I still a PT? Am I still considered a PT even though I haven't put hands on a patient in over a year? But that what you said, Jimmy, about bringing your passions together. It's like, like Meredith, I was chatting up patients all the time and I ended up doing way more coaching, I think sometimes than I did treating patients, which I think they really needed. And they That's used the to, to get, I, I just got such great results from my patients because I had that skill of coaching. And so I think there, there, I think there could be a greater conversation around shame, identity, non-clinical PT, just like all of the things that we can do and what does it actually mean to be a PT? And then uh, I, I also love the conversation because I do business coaching about adding value and, and giving first and how do you lead with authenticity and, and all of that imposter syndrome that we go through is like, who am I to be doing this? And I mean, it's just so many things. We could go into perfectionism, comparison, itis and all of those things, but that uh, what you all talked about really, really struck me. Nick, what'd you hear from everybody else while you were off camera? You know, I think, you know, um, I was so surprised that Meredith was like a real person because I always view her as this cartoon thing that she has on her website. <laughs> so that was so super impressed by that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also uh, I, I would say that, you know, just, just sitting back and listening, you know, it, it's kind of the, the thing that occurs to me, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, advocating, we're talking about being, you know, uh, getting into non-clinical roles. And we're talking about people like Heidi, who just, you know, go super entrepreneurial and develop their own um, company. But you know what, we're, but we're all, we were all PTs, uh, you know, even, you know, Jimmy's uh, social media star. So something, uh, and I don't think it's all just us. I think something, something has to be said that uh, being, if it, I hear this a lot sometimes in the phrases, like I'm just a therapist. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard that, but it's like, you know, and I'm in the hospital or I'm in whatever setting, it's like, I'm just a therapist and well, I don't know what's wrong with them. I'm just a therapist or whatever. And to me, it's, 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 so, it's sort of shortchanging some of the soft skills that all of us learn. And some people used to ask me, cause I'm like, not, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talkative and, and, and whatnot in social situations. Um, but I had someone ask me one time, you know, if, 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 I, if I consider myself a people person, and this is when I was still treating. And I said, well, I don't know if I'm a people person, but I literally meet like 20 strangers a day. And within five minutes of meeting them, um, I, I can get them to take off their shirt and point to where it's hurting. 
And <laughs> that's got to account for something because not everybody can do that. And if I can do that, I can pretty much lobby or if I can do that, I can do, I, I can host a, you know, a podcast and be just fine. Right. So that, I think that we shortchange this kind of skills that we learn by becoming a healthcare practitioner, the skills it takes to get through PT school, the skills it takes to literally meet a you know, person on their first minute and say, take off your clothes. Uh, you know, like th these are real skills and they, they are transferable and, and we should use that. And, and, you know, we're problem solvers and we're, deducing what's wrong with somebody's spine and Heidi's deducing what's wrong, you know, with documentation and billing and, and she's able to apply it in a different way. So I feel like, um, you know, listeners just, uh, if you hear people say, I'm just a therapist, um, maybe, uh, maybe slap that person and realize like, there's a lot of things that you can do based on the, you know, the education and the training and the skills that you got that will, will translate in a lot of other places. Nick advocating for the, the swift slap. I like that. Yeah. Um, just, just a therapist, but like your relationship builders, you know, these things are valuable. I mentioned this a minute ago, but we typically devalue the things that we're good at because we just assume, well, if I'm good at it, it must be easy and everybody else must be able to do it too. But that's not always the case. Uh, Meredith, you batted cleanup. Anything that uh, jumped out at you when the other guests were speaking? I think the main thing that jumped out at me is that we're sitting here on here and none of us do direct patient care at this point. And I've noticed that a lot of guests on your podcast and other podcasts don't do direct patient care. And I would argue that none of us would say that we're not PTs anymore. We might have those moments where we think, am I really a PT? But we're on here talking about the state of the rehab situation. So we're clearly still identifying as PTs. Right. And I think that it's really important if we want to make changes so that we can, to Nick's point, to change how we feel about ourselves in the trenches, in the clinics, then we need to have people who are stepping into the leadership roles that can change change that paradigm and just kind of show that we're not just PTs. I've seen the, the flyers in the bathrooms at my old hospital. I'm not just a nurse. Next time someone, next time you think I'm just the nurse and they have this whole reason why you're not just a nurse. But I, I agree. I think PTs and all rehab clinicians fall into the exact same trap. And so the fact is, if you are feeling like that, it might mean that you need to be in a role where your voice is heard a little bit more, whether it's through advocacy or through improving diversity or through improving technology and solving problems. I mean, we've all taken unique routes, I think, to just trying to improve things. And so that's what I would define a PT as, as a problem solver. It starts with you. You got to believe it too, right? You've, it, 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 no one else is going to see you as more than just a therapist unless you first start believing it and then acting in it. And and I would chime in with what Nick had said, uh, said as well, as, as, as well as the rest of the, the, the group. Um, I started again, feeling very like um, imposter syndrome. Am I a real physical therapist still? But the, the way I was able to, to first look at it was someone gave me a great example, which is if your professor in PT school hasn't touched a patient in five years, but interacts with 38 students every single day, and those students go out and interact with patients, are they still a therapist? And I think people can very easily see that connection. Yes. You Can you touch a patient without ever touching a patient? And I think we can see it very clearly in education. A lot of times in the different roles that everybody on in, on the show has, it might not be so clear until you pay attention. Mm -hmm. How can Meredith do it? How does Heidi do it? How does Savannah do it? How does Nick do it? It's, it's clear when you pay attention, but you've there's just one extra step or you've actually got to put yourself and understand, and this has been a theme of this episode, the more you can understand about what value someone brings, you can see what they actually do and what they actually are. Uh, last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. I warned you guys about this. Let's do it.
All right, parting shot brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Mentioned before uh, the uh, current concepts of the orthopedic physical therapy. If you're if you're looking at everybody who was sharing over the last couple of weeks on uh, on social media, hey, listen, got my OCS, passed the exam, longest few weeks of my life waiting for those uh, waiting for those results, and you're saying one day maybe. What are you waiting for? Is it confidence? Is it competence? Current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy gives you both of those things. Become a more competent and confident orthopedic physical therapist. Get current concepts of orthopedic PT online at orthopt.org. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go in the order we had you guys on the show. We'll start with Heidi first for your parting shot. And I think you wanted to share a little bit about uh, a, a scholarship and a foundation that you just launched. We'll make sure you could do that. So what do you want to leave with the audience today? Sure. Well, one of the questions you asked was, hey, is there something that inspired you? You know, share that with us. And, you know, everything that's transpired over the last year, along with the report and the, the issues of, that remain in diversity within our industry, inspired me to help solve that problem. And so with my success um, uh, with WebPT, um, I created a foundation that created back in 2021 and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it, but that's now been inspired and uh, it's called Rising Tide and you can go to rising-tide.com uh, and we're kicking it off with five scholarships, three of which are going to be for incoming PT students into PT schools or if you're a PTA going through a bridge program into PT school, and then two uh, scholarships for graduating PTs going on to uh, residency programs. So I'm super excited about it. It's very much focused on um, BIPOC students uh, and trying to really improve the resident or improve the diversity within our industry. Love that. And what do you want to leave with the audience, your parting shot? La last chance for a mic drop moment, something you want to reflect on the state of rehab. Well, it's all about data, right? And that's how we uh, can actually uncover, um, similar to how we've uncovered the diversity issues. Um, if you, if you, um, and how we started the state of rehab therapy, if you can't find it, you can't find the answers, sometimes you have to take it upon yourself to find an innovative solution and go for it. Perfect. All right, Tavana, we didn't we didn't prepare you for this, but the uh, the parting shot, just your last chance for a mic drop. What do you, what do you want the audience thinking about as we wrap up today's episode from your lens? I just think, in terms of diversity, it is all of our job to look internally and figure out where are our unconscious biases and not take it personally because when we are brave enough to do so and we take responsibility for the results of our patients and the the results of the companies that we work with and for then we are in a more empowered situation and we can just make this profession better three words right there brave responsible and empowered right recognizing those uh, unconscious biases uh well done the parting shot nick what do you want to leave with the audience today that physical therapy has the best value proposition in healthcare today. It is at the um, sweet spot for um, wellness, for opioid addiction, for fall prevention. And if we can't, you know, thrive uh, in this, you know, in this environment, it's really everybody else. It's it's really everybody's fault. <laughs> you know, it's your fault. We we need we have we know that therapy is great. 
all we have to do is make sure other people understand it as well. Yeah, tell that story, communicate. You gave a really great example of that, and the opportunity is ripe for you, right? You're in a great place, and you're you're well you're well poised and well equipped to do that. Uh, Meredith, your parting shot for today. I think my parting shot would be to think of yourself as a PT or a PTA or whatever type of rehab cl- clinician you are. But remember that you, what makes you a PT is that you're a problem solver and that you're adaptable and you're flexible and all these soft skills that come naturally to some of us more than others, but we all have our strengths. We have our inherent strengths and our passions, and we can marry those with the fact that we still care about the PT industry. And even if we're not directly treating patients, it doesn't mean that we're not PTs and it doesn't mean that we can't make a huge difference in many other people's lives, whether it's other clinicians, patients, or everyone. Yeah, helping people is at the root of this profession. If you're doing that in, through, the, through the lens of a physical therapist, you're still a physical therapist. Uh, WebPT 2021 State of Rehab. Uh, find it online at webpt.com. Want to thank our guest tonight for chiming in, and definitely want to thank everybody that helped and, and you know almost 7,000 respondents, 7,000, 7K, uh, well done on WebPT's part at the five re- reunion of this uh, of this endeavor. Can't wait to see what we're looking like at 10 years. Thanks so much for your time, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Bye, Jimmy. Follow us online. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PT Pinecast. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at Brooks ihl.org our home on the internet ptpinecast.com created by build pt build pt provides marketing services specifically for private practice pts from website development and hosting providing content marketing solutions for pt clinics across the country see what build pt can do for you today at buildpt.com the pt pinecast is a product of pt pinecast llc it is hosted and produced by pt pinecast ceo jim mckay and cbo sky donovan from marymount university we talk pt drink beer and record it this has been another pour from the pt pinecast the pt pinecast is intended for educational purposes only no clinical decision making should be based solely on one source while care is taken to ensure accuracy factual errors can be present more on the show at ptpinecast.com